This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning, this is Frida Liu and you're listening to Open for Business, established in 2017 by entrepreneurs Azrul Izam and Azwani Ahmad. In a studio, prides himself on striving beyond convention through the power of fashion technology with his proprietary material, dry chili material in the modest sportswear space. I'm here with one of the co-founders, Azrul. Good morning, Azrul. Hi, good morning, Frida. Okay, so I was reading your bio. Your background is in engineering. Yes. Okay, what kind of engineering what was the reason you made this transition into business? Um, I studied manufacturing engineering in uh, university in UIA. The reason why, see, the thing is about when you're studying engineering, you have always thought to solve problems. Okay. And the reason why I came into this business because I see a huge problem that needed to be solved and there was no solution at that time. Mm. In fact, um, only now it has become popular to focus on the hijab. Right. Right. But before this, the hijab was always be considered as a, another piece of clothing that was not going to be anything significant in any industry. But now we know the modest wear industry is about half a trillion dollars. And we feel that being one of the pioneers in Malaysia to be in the hijab industry, we feel that my background as an engineer gives me an advantage over most other brands, mm. so to speak. Okay. So, Inner Sejuk, the reason behind the name? Okay. The reason why it's called Inner Sejuk, well, because one, the inners is what, you know, Malaysians call it. Malaysia call the Anak Tudong. I mean, the modern term for mm. Anak Tudong is Inners. And <laughs> uh, we wanted to use Inner Sejuk specifically using the Malaysian language is because we wanted to prove, and when we started this brand, we knew that we were planning to go global mm. and we wanted to carry the Malaysian identity with it. And once it goes global, we know that the name Seju will carry that you know, Malaysian identity with it. Mm. We had a lot of resistance in the past. Like okay. A lot of people were saying, oh, you know, this word Seju is not going to fly, it's not going to be commercial. Uh, we had people from you know, marketing agencies, from you know, consultants telling us this is not going to, you know, uh, people will not like it. But five years later, here we are. Right. And we just got back from an exploratory trip in Europe. Mm-hmm. And the Europeans just loved the name Seju. They right. felt that it was uh, very exotic. Okay, now you spent years developing the ideal fabric for modest active wear that's not only cooling but also antimicrobial and sweat wicking, right? Uh, and it's, of course, your dry dry chill material. What What goes into developing and test marketing until you know it's ideal? Mm-hmm. Well, it started off with just um, an idea of why not, right? Why haven't someone figured out to solve the, the hijabis issues mm. of wearing the hijab? Because in Malaysia, especially when it's hot and humid, it gets really hot under yeah. the hijab. People sweat and then, you know, bacteria build up, it becomes uh, smelly. So it started off with that idea. And I also play rugby. Mm. And it was during that rugby match that I realized, and at, at the time I was wearing the, the base layers. At the, mm. And those fabrics actually kind of work for for what I was using, but it wasn't good enough for hijabis. So that's when we started researching uh, fabric technology. We started researching what are the ingredients that was required for us to be able to produce something like this. Mm. Um, think of 
uh, product or fabric development like mm. you're making nasi lemak. Mm. Okay, so nasi lemak is nasi lemak. But what makes a nasi lemak good? So should we add sotong? Should we add ayam? Should we add sambal? So it goes the same thing right. with developing the fabric. Right. So after, I mean, we started researching and developing since 2012. We tried to find partners from China. We tried to find partners from Korea, Taiwan. But in the end, we managed to find it in our own backyard, hmm. right? In, in Johor. So working with the partners there, that's when we discovered and because they also understood the market better right. that's when we discovered the right combination for what we needed okay so five years in the making actually before the product came I'm researching yeah. and looking for it now okay I'm not going to mention that name brand but there's one brand global brand that also comes into this space now how would you be different from them well they actually we announced this product a year before they announced ah, their product. But they That's got more marketing one. money, yeah. lah. They got more marketing <laughs> money. But the advantage here is that we have to understand two things, and this okay. is two things that we we've understood so far. The first thing is is the need for being uh, it's a, it's still fashion, right? So the need for you to look good is still there. I mean, to certain women, it's paramount. Mm. Okay, looking good is paramount. So especially when when you're looking at the target market they were talking about, I mean, these are career women, women mm. who have very important positions, who meet people. So their image is is at the utmost important to them. So we make sure not only are our products you know, uh, functional, mm. but it's aesthetically pleasing as well. So right. that's the first thing. So other brands so far, they're still figuring it out. Right. The second part is that we have to also realize the situation of the mus- Muslim diaspora. Mm. If you look at the Muslims in uh, affluent countries such as Western countries, European countries, America, Middle East, they tend to gravitate more to brands that feel that they are actually um, fighting for them. They're actually you know, creating a service for them mm. rather than trying to piggyback on an industry you know, and make money out of it. And Muslim women are intelligent women. I mean, in fact, if you look, if you go to any country, even Malaysia, right, they are at the forefront of driving the economy. So women have very good judgment and you can't just <laughs> fool them that, look, you know, we are, you know, genuinely here mm. to help you. When they looked at our background and they knew that we started off from the idea of trying to solve their problems, you know, creating modest sportswear, creating modest clothing that works, that is much more enticing to them. That's mm. much more, you know, something that is close to their heart. Right. Yeah. And of course, your target market are the Muslim women. But do you find this also appealing with non-Muslim women? It is. That's why we call ourselves a modest sportswear brand rather than a Muslim brand. Right. Because modesty is, you know, transcends beyond religion, you know, race and culture. I mean, if you look at the Asian culture, for example, I mean, if you look at Koreans and Japanese, mm. I mean, their traditional clothing are all modest. Our yeah. traditional clothing yeah. are all modest. So it's not an exclusive realm for Muslims alone. 10% of our customers are non-Muslims. And these are, you know, Chinese ladies, Indian ladies who are running marathons, yeah. who are not comfortable wearing ultra-tight clothing. Right. So they are looking for functional clothes that can perform while still maintaining their modesty. Right. And we provide that solution for them. Mm. Do you have products beyond sportswear? I was looking at you also have a little bit of scarves and all that. Is that a space you want to look at yep. further? I mean, we do. We have a prayer wear under the uh, sub-brand called Sukaina. So basically, it's a, again, um, it's a prayer wear that uses our dry chill fabric. So you could, we tested, the, the main aim is to make sure that 
especially during Ramadan, mm. when women pray from Maghrib to all the way until Tarawih, that takes about four hours. Mm. So wearing something, you know, the normal telukung in an air-conditioned environment, yeah, okay. could work, right? Mm. But most surahs don't have fully air-conditioned. And unfortunately, most surahs kind of ignore the women part of the, you know, of the, of the surah. So we wanted to make sure that while they are performing their duties, they have an option to be as comfortable as possible. That's one area that we have explored into. But the other part is uh, in terms of daily wear or athleisure. Athleisure is becoming mainstream right now where you're using athletic wear for daily wear, for right. professional wear as well. Yeah. So we have a division for athleisure where it will allow women to be far more comfortable performing their day-to-day routines mm. you know, while still looking good. Right, the, the rise of the track suits, right, and yes. how we're wearing it yeah. uh, th- uh, throughout the whole day. I'm here with uh, Azrul Izam from Inesajo. We'll talk about what uh, they did during the pandemic. Right after this, you're listening to Open for Business, BFM 89.9. <music> Break from monotony, BFM 89.9. Good morning, this is Frida Liu. You're listening to Open for Business. I'm here with Azrul Izam from Inasujuk, uh, which is a brand which started in 2017. And they are provide the power of uh, fashion technology with this proprietary material dry chill uh, for the modest sportswear space. What happened during the pandemic? You know, did you have to do anything differently? Because for a while, we were all not allowed to leave the house. Yeah. The unique thing about the pandemic was I was already monitoring the situation in uh, Wuhan since November 2019. And I saw the domino effect that it had with uh, regions, I mean, countries such as Hong Kong, Mm. Melbourne. And the moment Melbourne went into lockdown, that's when I realized that it's coming. It's coming to our country and we can't avoid it anymore. The good thing is, we already have a huge stockpile of our dry chill material, Mm. which is, you know, antibacterial, antimicrobial, all the properties that is required to make a very good, very safe and very comfortable face mask. So we started manufacturing the fabric face mask before the lockdown happened. That was a huge gamble on my side. Two things that we were considering. Number right. one, there is definitely going to be a shortage of surgical or medical masks. Right. And definitely when there is a shortage, priority will be given to the frontliners. Yeah. Second, there is definitely going to be a price cap mm. from the government because people, I mean, they don't want people to take advantage. So while everyone else was stockpiling on surgical masks, we were manufacturing the fabric masks. And the reason why we did this is we consulted a few doctors, mm. we consulted a few uh, public health uh, scientists, and we also looked at the studies from CDC. And we knew that we were not taking advantage of scamming people, we were actually helping out in developing and protecting the society. So right. that was the first thing that we did. We, we were prepared for the pandemic, so we had, you know, we sold almost a million pieces of face masks during right. that time. Production it, was in Malaysia? In Malaysia. We didn't have to go to customs. Our fabric right. was already here. Our tailors was already here. And, you know, it was under... Uh, it was it was still not during the pandemic at the time. So everything was uh, ready and prepared. So when it hit, 
the demand was extremely high mm. and we were among the first to release it mm. and we were also among the first to get bashed by it. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, everyone was said, no, because at that time people oh. didn't understand that, you know, wearing uh, cloth masks was good enough. Right. And, you know, everyone was saying we're taking advantage, we're scammers and we would, we'd stuck with it. Right. Because we knew that in the end, it's about making sure that there's enough masks to go around because the first six months of the pandemic, there was not enough surgical masks mm, yes, going yeah. around. Right. Right. Even for doctors, even for police. Oh, okay. Okay. Now, I know that uh, you're online and you're in a couple of places physically. Where are these places and are you planning to go into more uh, physical stores? Um, we are currently in Deepal, Cyberjaya, Aeon, Nilai and Sha'alam and we're opening one more in my town. Hmm. Most probably we'll open in other major cities in Malaysia right. as you know, more of a flagship store so that hmm. people could just come and try out the fabric because it's difficult to ascertain hmm. the quality of our product online. Right, unless you're a very you know faithful, I mean someone who who really believes in what we do, so it's difficult for new customers to understand what this product is about. But beyond that, we're focusing to also opening a few flagship stops uh, stores in Europe. Mm. Uh, we've identified a few places, namely in London, right. in Paris and also in Rotterdam or Amsterdam. Okay. Okay, again, it's a flagship store, but I would say 90% of our business would still be online. Right. This this uh, plan to Europe, when is this happening? Um, we are predicting that we'll be able to start operations in Europe in Q1 or Q2 next year. And the way we're going to do it is that Europe will become our logistics hub. So, and the good thing is because logistics in Europe is so advanced, you can ship anything to anywhere in the world within three days. So it's cheaper. And the thing is, on, on a monthly basis, we get about 1,000 to 1,500 abandoned carts from Europe and US alone. Hmm. And we contacted these individuals. They're very interested in the product. Problem is shipping is far more expensive than right. the product when we ship from Malaysia. But, you know, when we when we start shipping from Europe, then it's going right. the price okay. will go down and it's going to be accessible to everyone everywhere in the world. What were your considerations when it came to just within Malaysia, the costing and pricing, right? Not too high, <coughs> not too low, but what was that space that's how do you decide what was that sweet spot? Um, we calculated what was fair, well, mainly what was fair for the consumer because although normal inners, I mean, if you took even the cheapest inners around 10 ringgit, the problem with this inners, after two washes, it's going to disintegrate, mm. right? It, I mean, the, the elasticity is going to lose out. Uh, things will get very loose, longer. Mm. Uh, women will start have to wear pins with their mm. inner. So if you buy each inner every month, right? Although it's 10 ringgit, it's 120 ringgit a month. Our inners comes with, um, well, we're planning to announce it soon, but you know, I can give a teaser. It's a lifetime guarantee. Hmm. Because we've had customers from four years ago, 2017, almost five years now, who have bought our products and it still works. Right. It still functions. So the price that we give, we feel it's a fair price given hmm. the quality, given the amount of actual savings that the customers is going to get. Okay. Um, okay. So, of course, I met you at because of the Dignity Project, and mm. you were winners of the Say Inspire program. Tell me more. Okay, the Say Inspire program is under entrepreneurship, uh, entrepreneurship Slango under Slango Youth. Uh, Slango Youth is under Yes and Rajamuda. So the program is. Uh, 
aim to help develop and you know build up entrepreneurs in Selangor. Yeah. So we were uh, crown champions uh, last year yeah. out of 72 participants. And from there, Say Expire actually opened up a lot of opportunities, a lot of doors from the win. And one of those is the ability to work with MSRI and also mm. the United Nations. So here, that's where we feel that the reason why we are starting to work with uh, projects such as Dignity, let me explain a bit about what is Dignity. Dignity is a program where we give opportunities to refugees, they design our hijabs, and we will mail it to them, market it for them, mm. and 100% of the profits will be returned to the refugee community. So that will help fund their schooling programs, their education, their, their health programs through MSRI. Now, the reason why we started Project Dignity is because throughout uh, the, the core value of IRAS or Institute specifically is that we've always looked at how are the methods and ways for us to give back either to you know the people around us, the community around us because this is not the first CSR program that we've done. Mm. Even during the pandemic, we had a Derma Amas program where we worked with local celebrities where we donated close to 100,000 masks, if I'm not mistaken, to those at the PPR through NGOs such as MyCare. Mm. And then we had the For Palestine program mm. when Palestine had the, uh, another issue. Mm. I won't go into specifics mm. back then. So this is not the first. So we are looking at a much more sustainable way for us to help and give opportunities. Right. Because if you compare other programs that we've done before, this one is far more sustainable in the sense that we're, you know, we're teaching them how to fish, mm. right? We're providing the rods, providing the opportunities, but we're teaching them how to fish. And these are skills, not only that we teach them skills on how to design the hijab, but we also share with them entrepreneurship skills, marketing skills. Right. So you talk about uh, expansion into Europe. Very exciting. Closer to home? Are we looking anywhere else? Um Currently, I mean, our revenue, 40% of our revenue comes from Brunei and Singapore already. Mm. Uh, it's just that, you know, other neighbours, they have certain restrictions that we are not able to comply yet. Right. But we do foresee that once we make it in Europe, and then the next stop will be in uh, the United States, obviously, right. because that's the that's where everything you know works. If you want to go global, you have to make it in the USA. Yeah. So that's our next stop. And finally, to Middle East. So mm. if we, if we're doing well in these three markets, we do see that you know some neighbors, mm. you know the most uh, populous Muslim yes. country, for example, <laughs> might be able to open their doors right. to, to us. But they, as of now, as of now, I think the barrier to entry is too high. Right over here. Uh, speaking of which, then, uh, in terms of expansion, in terms of funding, are you looking for funding? Are you, you know, angels or VCs? Uh, we are looking into that option. Mm. We are open to that option. In fact, before the pandemic, there were a few VCs that approached us. Mm. The day that they were supposed to do <laughs> the DUD, you know, March, March 18, 2020, yes. was the day that the first day of the pandemic hit. Right. Uh, but it's, it's again, uh, for me, I'm quite an optimistic individual. I mean, I always see a silver lining everywhere. If we did do a deal with them back then, our valuation would be so much lower. Oh, right. right. Our sales, you know, uh, increased six folds mm. after the pandemic. So right. I would say... Even now, I think we're 10 times more valuable than we were. Okay. But we are opening up to potential suitors and investors. Mm -hmm. uh, we've already had 
a few people inquiring mm. uh, from Saudi Arabia all the way to the you know European Union, even here back home. Mm. So maybe uh, we will be announcing that soon, but it's something that we are open to. Trust, trust in the timing. Eh? Yeah, I've been speaking to Azrul Izam, uh, talking about Inesujo, and you've been listening to Open for Business. I'm Frida Liu, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.